0: Hello, my name is Aaron Mashbitz, and welcome to our ongoing series about taking care of your mental health as a professional wrestler. I used to be a professional wrestler named Jackson Stone. Now I own and operate a mental health nonprofit called You Are Loved, and a very important part of that nonprofit is trying to create some services, resources, systems in professional wrestling so we can help uh, that community, which I feel like needs it and goes Kind of unnoticed in terms of taking care of their mental health. So this is part eight of our series. This um, specific episode will cover grief and loss. You can find our previous seven webinars all on the YouTube. There for a moment. Oh, all on the YouTube channel. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, we're all good, um, but uh, all on the YouTube channel and. Just before we dive into the actual uh topic of tonight, I want to say just a brief few things about the services that we offer. If you are a professional wrestler listening to this episode, on uh, this episode with me is our resident experts Carl and Kyle. They are actually in the professional wrestling business as a manager and as a wrestler, and they also are licensed mental health professionals and they run our monthly support groups specifically for professional wrestlers. So they understand the actual nuts and bolts of being in the professional wrestling business and actually have the professional credentials of being a mental health specialist. So, we do two of those every month and they're free of charge. And if you want to be a part of those, please reach out to eat, uh, any one of us via social media or the email listed on you are And lastly, we have a Facebook group just for a community of professional wrestlers to talk. There's resources on there. There's journal prompts, reflections, questions, and all of that stuff. So those are the services that we provide, one being these webinars, other being support groups, and then lastly being the Facebook group. And so I'm done with my spiel. Thanks for listening. And now we will go, I'll give it to Kyle, and he will start us off with our topic tonight of grief and loss.
1: All right. Well, wonderful, uh, wonderful intro there, Aaron, as always. Um <laughs> We'll we'll keep it pretty basic in terms of understanding what grief and loss is. Um, before we get started, I was actually on Twitter earlier today, and I saw this great clip uh, from Diamond Dallas Page. I forget who was interviewing him. I forget the podcast. I'm sorry. I can't put it over. But um, it, basically, he ended it with this quote, is that it, it was essentially that if you do not attend to your physical and mental wellness, you're mental and bodily wellness you will be forced to deal with physical and mental illness and that really resonated with me today especially we were as we were you know gearing up to have this conversation about grief and loss um and one of the things i was talking to you guys before we really got rolling here was that i i view grief and loss um In the human experience and just like anything else that we deal with in in the mental health realm, as being on a spectrum, um, particularly in what it comes to the professional wrestling experience and as as well as like the larger human experience. Um, grief and loss can take many forms beyond what we conceptualize it as, which is what which is primarily death. Um, this can really take the form of any sort of loss. It can be lost relationships. It can be lost opportunities. It can be um, any type of version of that, really. And um, in in terms of dealing with that stuff, you know, we're we're the general public is um, generally aware of what we know as the Kubler Ross model of dealing with grief and loss, which is. Denial, the five stages: denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Um, you know, with these models, sometimes they don't necessarily happen within order um, of the of the of the order that I listed. But you know, it's fine. It, it varies from individual to individual. Each journey is tailored to the individual person. But the one thing I really want to highlight as I start going over these concepts is that. Grief processing, in order to be maximally helpful, beneficial, it, can, it, it it has to be an intentional process. This cannot be something we can be passive about, uh, particularly if, you know, you, the professional wrestler out there is listening to this, um, is going through a grief journey, a grief processing journey. We are a folk who are told and molded and shaped into people who tend to be proactive, who tend to be engaged and do things with intention. And any sort of stage of mental health or any sort of mental health process should be no different. So, like I mentioned, we have the Kubler-Ross model. And during the first stage I mentioned was denial. Um, It's the reality of the loss. Is this really happening to me? How can I, how, how, why, what, what? uh, You're trying to make sense of your new reality with this loss, with this thing, whatever it is that you're dealing with. The second stage, it's anger. You're asking those questions. Why, how, why me? Uh, You become angry. And this anger can be directed towards a lot of different people. It could be anger at yourself. It could be anger at a third party. You could also find yourself angry at the deceased. It's important to process that as opposed to burying it or trying to escape it or trying to you know deflect away from it somehow. Um, you know, we see a lot of people in professional wrestling who go, This is my thing. This is the thing that helps me survive. This is this is this is what keeps me whole. This is what keeps me together. But that that's not a bad thing, but it can also be used as a tool to deflect away from the processing that needs to occur, specifically when dealing with grief and loss. Um, and this can especially happen Uh, in the stage of anger because people are afraid to be angry. They feel guilty for being angry. They feel, you know, wrong for being upset. And that's not necessarily, you know, true. Um, Some people have some fairly irrational feelings that come up, but this is a time to be irrational and to process the irrationality and be intentional about it. It's your grief, you know. Go through it how you have to go through it, but be intentional about it. Anyway. Anyway. We get that third uh, stage. We get bargaining. Can
2: I, one moment, Kyle. Can I
1: add no, something? No, buy all. Buy
2: all. That really kind of spoke to me, right? We're being avoidant. We find ways to avoid those feelings. And I think men are, are much more prone to go to anger. Right, I think we use anger as a crutch a lot of the times because it's easier to deflect and avoid those feelings. And I think we're really lucky in a time that we can have conversations like this and there are different ways now to grieve. There are different ways to express those emotions and, and be accepting, be able to move through these uh, stages. So I just wanted to mention that, because <laughs> what you were saying really kind of perked me up.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Carl. Allow me to perk you further. Uh, so we get our conventional bargaining stage it This really does tie into that avoidant factor. Uh, you know, they'll do things and this 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 one's really complex because it can take a lot of different forms. Um, say if you have you you've experienced the death of a loved one uh, uh, due to smoking, lung cancer, and it becomes with, okay, um maybe somehow things will change or or let me read retailer the um uh, the example I'm giving. Uh, a loved one gets de- diagnosed with a lung cancer diagnosis and the bargaining ch- and it's terminal. And in our hypothetical here, um, while that person may, you know, stop smoking, um, as a method of their own bargaining, the person who the third party, you know, the relative, the loved one, the person listening to this in this case, um, they could also start their own sort of bargaining. Like maybe if I also quit smoking, maybe this will somehow you know work out in our favor. Um it can take a lot of different forms like that and you know I, again these are this is a response to a tremendously difficult aspect of the, the the human experience and people react to it in their own ways but again as i if, the, if there's one thing that i want to you know stuff into the head of the person listening to this is that it's intentional. It's important to go through it, and it's okay if it goes off the rails a little bit. If it seems a little bit strange, if it doesn't make sense, if it seems irrational, it's your process. This is just what you have to go through, and you've got to go through it however it presents itself. There's a way out, and it is going through these processes. So we got to our fourth stage, which is depression. This is grieving. This is you know, letting those feelings and the reality of the situation that you are dealing with kind of absorb into you and integrate it. And it's not, it's, it's difficult. It is a sad experience. It is an isolating experience. It is the conventionally what we believe to be, um, you know, the, the more intensive aspect of these stages. Um, this is where we we see ourselves entering mourning, um, and really coming to terms, or at least starting to come to terms with what are what we what we're going through. And finally, the final stage is acceptance, um, where the person comes to accept some loss. That doesn't mean that with that acceptance, all the pain goes away. Um, that just simply doesn't happen. There, it, it doesn't mean that you will be in pain forever, but there will be likely some element that you carry with you um depending on what the the loss is and how it fits in your life and how you're impacted by it and other various factors but it it means that you are at a stage where you are starting to integrate the loss and you are starting to move forward now There is a uh, there there was a sixth stage that Aaron had so kindly brought up before we started started rolling on this that I I will let him get into, but I think is firmly exciting. But um, there's also another model of grief, and that's the actual processing of grief itself. If I can get my notes to cooperate, ah, here we go. And this is it's um, Warden's tasks of of uh, grieving or tasks of mourning. Number one, it's to accept the reality of the loss, all right? That takes, again, just like the, the Kubler ross model, intention, engagement. Um, oftentimes, survivors struggle to accept the reality of what has happened. The person experiencing the loss struggles to accept what's happened to them. They may also deny the significance. And, you know, as I said, that loss is a spectrum. And some things that we may view as, like, you know, not such a big deal such as you know losing a relationship with promotion if we're going to keep it to a uh, pro wrestling um and this was a this was an example carl had given before um we may deny the significance of that loss maybe we've been building a uh opportunities there maybe we had a storyline going this that the other and for whatever reason it fell through we may de- deny that that's not a big deal but it could be like that arms our ego as an artist, as a person engaging in this craft. Um, It it takes a hit sometimes. Uh, So another part of this task is accepting the reality, uh, which means coming to terms with loss, both emotionally and intellectually. So task two, and this is the one I've been banging on about, um, is to process that grief and to be intentional about it and find your way to process that. Um, this is where with clients that I work with, I really start embracing the use of grief rituals, finding something, ta- especially when it comes to uh, death or um, you know that significant type of loss. Um, grief rituals are things that are tailored to the specific relationship and life experience that you had with the person that you had lost that creates some sort of intimate meaning or remembrance of that person. It's, it's heralding their memory. It's, it's uplifting and uh, losing my train of thought in terms of the word I want to use. It's, 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 it's an uplifting way to keep the person's memory alive. It could be lighting candles. Um, You, you see various like altars or, you know, um various setups people might have in their homes uh, that are dedicated to a loved one um, who they've lost. Um, they could be going to a special place on a special date. They could engage in a specific activity like planting trees or flowers, something that really, uh, really celebrates the person that they had lost. Um, and I think that's particularly appropriate in keeping that memory alive and keeping the the image of that person preserved um, as a means of really processing the pain that comes with it. Um, task three, still engaging in those grief rituals, the task three is to adjust to a world without the deceased. And that's where those rituals become so important. Those first engagements can be very trying they can be difficult and they can be, you know, tough. but as we continue to engage in these things, we tend to get more meaning. we tend to gain some level of comfort by engaging in those rituals. Um, in terms of adjusting to a world without that without that person. Um, this kind of takes making internal, external and sometimes spiritual adjustments to the loss. What I mean by internal, Um, It's changes to one's identity. Um, Who am I now without that person? How, how how do I take this? And how is it going to change me on an internal level? Externally, it means taking on different roles and responsibilities. Um, Like if it's a family member. How you operate within that system or any system, really, um, how you operate within that system is changed when somebody when that system loses a person. Um, you take on different responsibilities. You take on different roles to really not necessarily, you know, make up for that person being gone, but it, it really just changes the dynamic. Those roles and those responsibilities within those systems must be um they must be continued to be met. Um, Finally, the spiritual adjustments. Um, This involves changes to the person's worldview, beliefs, and assumptions as affected by this loss. For example, someone who once believed the world is a fair and kind place may experience, you know, a particularly devastating loss Um, that wasn't fair, that wasn't kind. Um, That can be a major blow to that person's worldview. Um, when something that they believed to be true other, li- other, all their lives was drastically proven to be inaccurate, at least in one perspective, like how do they recover from that? And that brings us to task four, um, which is to find a way to remember this deceased person while moving forward in life. Again, grief rituals, keep that, pre- preserve those memories engage in those things that brought you together in life, in the relationship, um, the things that were really important. Um, as long as, like, I'll give an, uh, an per, uh, a real personal example. Um, my grandparents passed away a few years ago. Uh, they were heavily involved in uh, my grandfather in particular. He was a, a bit of a grease monkey. Uh, he loved restoring old classic cars, and he got so good at it and so involved in it, he was able to establish his his own car club uh with other people who restored old chevrolets and only old chevrolets my grandpa had a beautiful 1937 and that was his baby and he spent virtually all my life at least if not longer um restoring that thing and you know keeping it in tip-top shape and when he had passed part of our like familial grief grieving process was You know, to ensure, A, because my dad did not uh, adopt his uh, mechanical tendencies and uh, my brother and I just weren't in a place to take the car at the time. So our goal was to, A, find somebody who would love that car as much as my grandfather did um, and really give it the love and attention that he did. Um, And we did uh, thankfully, we found another collector who was specifically looking for that model of car um, and had been doing so for a very long time. We were able to come to an agreement with him. And um, the other element of that was we still we still attend the big events at the car club. The car club survived. Uh, it's still ongoing to this day. We still make contributions to it. And we still show up uh, to the Father's Day brunch, which was For us, for our family and my grandfather, we would always go on a Father's Day tour. Uh, So that means all these old classic cars, we'd go on like a one and a half hour, two and a half hour drive, just to wherever. It could be like an auto museum or, you know, some local landmark or something for Father's Day. That was the thing we did with my grandfather and we took his car out and uh, yeah, um, basically our that was our process. That that was our task for pro- processing that grief and maintaining and keeping his perspective alive. And the Father's Day thing, that's our grief ritual. Um, that's the thing to keep his memory alive. That's the thing to celebrate, you know, some of the core memories that we have from childhood. And, you know, it's no longer, you know, damn, I miss grandpa. It was, it really becomes, you know, grandpa, grandpa would really love to be here and we're still having a great time. This is still a great thing. So the, the, just to highlight an example, it's like... I love that. Those are the things that make it worth it. Like, it's going to be yeah. okay at the end. It's, it's, it's intention. Like,
2: Kyle, one thing that you, you brought up, anniversaries. Over time, these traumas, they take a different shape. And, and what I love is that paying tribute. You gave that that experience a meaning. And now you have this very you know, tangible way to experience your grief as it comes and be able to remember them. I, I just, I love that. And I, I think it's so important that those rituals, those tasks continue. Like you're always allowed to celebrate that person. Uh, most of the time, cemeteries are not the place where you go to grieve and cry. It's a place you went to spend time with your families. We have a very different view of death. Than the way it used to be, you know, we're not really able to understand it as well. Maybe in the past couple of years we have, right? We've been much closer, I think, and having to see it much more often. But here we are getting through it, able to have these kind of conversations.
1: It's really interesting that you bring that up in the the concept of the last couple of years, because last week I went to a show, probably one of the, going to punk shows for like a a year and a half now again um and you're right like the pandemic and everything really did bring us closer to death but that came with its own version of like grief and loss because my my best friend who i went with he's like it's it's real crazy that we're we're back out here doing this and two or three years ago we couldn't (laughs) and that like imagine like do you remember how that was and how we were and what like especially in the context of the grief and process because it's just such was a just
2: talking debate. about it. Same. Yeah. like I, I was just talking about it with my wife and that there are so many people i think that are still grieving it i think that are still stuck in that trauma of i i lost my purpose for a time
0: mm-hmm. they are trying
2: to figure out their way back into the workforce you know, it, it was a term that was used widely, quiet quitting. No, that's somebody who's burnt out and needs their community, needs support, mm-hmm. needs to reconnect. And we, as the folks who, who you know, hey, we still have our stuff to work on, but I've been able to crawl my way back out and, and find my own peace in it. I I feel like we're trying to get everybody back there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah yeah i mean there are certainly just some folks even in the pro wrestling community who are so desperate to be back to where they were at but they still do not feel safe letting go and and there are perfectly like you know respectable and valid reasons why um you know uh immunocompromised folks primarily um but there's a real legitimate fear um even though we're at where we're, we are at you know in the context of that whole thing and I don't want to make this like a whole you know bad right.
2: um we could do a whole another show yeah. on that
1: yeah that's a that's a whole two three hours in and of itself our
2: um, number nine
1: yeah but there are you 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 still see it like yeah. there are folks who are so desperately terrified in this thing and we're so um, so impacted by it they're still processing how to re-engage yeah and if and with that is coming this sort of mourning of the person they were when they could freely engage and feel safe in doing so
2: it, it bringing up that kind of future thinking aaron i I know that recently, you know, recent as in past couple of years, you've been going through some transitions. I wonder if you maybe have some insights that you could share.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, COVID itself was obviously, you know, quite bad, but also brought me a lot of clarity. Because it, you know, before, for context, before I got into professional wrestling, I was playing baseball. And then baseball immediately went into pro wrestling. There was no there was no break there. So there was no grieving time even for baseball. There became bitterness and resentment towards baseball, but I used that as my fuel in professional wrestling. And so basically for the first time in my whole entire life, COVID, I had like a break. One, I was like, I don't know what the fuck to do. Like wrestling was my full-time job, like a lot of people who lost their full-time jobs And didn't have anything else because why would you have anything else? It's your full time job, right? And so, like, I'm like sitting here, like, what do I do with like my life? And I had experienced some grief a couple years earlier from from that, from the loss of my sister, which I'll touch on that as well, maybe a little later. But so I knew what the feelings of grief were. I'd been through the stages before, but I had never sort of felt it in a sense of losing something that I love that wasn't a, a physical like human being, because I, I I moved past it in my baseball career, and now I'm sitting in, in the middle of my pro wrestling career, like what am I supposed to do? And what helped me the most was this sixth stage that we talked about earlier, was the sixth stage being meaning. So what's the sense of meaning? Like what else was I doing in my life that was important besides pro wrestling? Well, I was starting this thing, you are loved based on losing my sister. I was doing my podcast. Now, I wasn't doing those things with full intention or full vigor because I had most of my time invested in professional wrestling, but that gave me the space and time. And so that meaning allowed me to get a grip on my grieving of my baseball career, which was amazing at the point I thought was like, what a waste of time. Why did I spend 18 years playing baseball? And it gave me nothing. It gave me everything, It gave me life lessons, longtime friendships college, like amazing stuff that I just forgot to even think about because I gave myself no time to process like Carl was talking about. And then using those same skills that I learned in baseball in my professional wrestling career, you know, networking, speaking, like creating relationships, like working hard, even though things aren't working out for you instantly, right? Trusting that process. And then COVID hits. And then I'm able to build this sense of meaning in these other things that I was working on on the side. And so I think it's important to, to grasp. And then a couple of years later, I retired as a professional wrestler. And so I was able to handle that much better than I would have if say I was forced to retire sort of like uh, we were forced to shut down in COVID or if just like an injury took me out. Right. Things like that are hard because they're unexpected and we don't know how to handle those things as they come. And we're just going to eventually sort of go through the grieving process and we're going to hit many different stages, and we're going to think we can come back, or we're not going to. We're going to be angry about it. We're going to be angry at the world. All of these things are going to come up, and that's very normal. Um, but we have to understand that we can grieve many things outside of just losing a person that we love. High school students, many of them, lost their graduation, so they're going to be able to grieve that experience. And we have to let people know that that's a loss. That's a big loss, and it's okay to feel sad about that. It's okay to grieve that. It's also okay to feel angry about that. We have a a negative connotation like Carl was talking about with anger because a lot of anger turns into rage and rage turns into things that are destructive. But if we can just feel that anger at at just a normal level and be like, yes, I, I am angry, but then move into action with it. Like, what can I do about it? How can I channel it? Okay. How can I breathe out of it? Or whatever the case may be for your specific situation. And then using that acceptance, like this thing is gone, or this thing isn't going to happen anymore, or I lost this thing, and then trying to channel that into some sort of meaning. And that can be tricky because it falls in sort of one of the other stages, which is bargaining, um, which is uh, one of the stages that I deeply fell into after I lost my sister. I lost my sister. I said, okay, I lost her to suicide. That's why I started You Are Loved. I said, okay, I'm going to I'm going to save every single person on the planet from ever experiencing what she experienced ever. And I'm going to, and then once I save everyone on earth, she's going to be brought back to life magically and everything's going to be fine. You know, that's, I initially thought that was like my, my way of grieving. Like that's how I'm going to handle it. That's also a part of my denial. Like it's not real. She's coming back. If I just do all of these things, someone will reward me. Right. And so we go through all of these stages and we we think about that stuff and and eventually you're able to process it at a, at a more a rational level. Like, obviously, that's not possible. I can only do what I can do, like having these beautiful conversations with y'all. Whoever this reaches, it reaches, right? And I'm not going to save every person on the planet. And, you know, that's impossible. But collective unit, we can change the conversation around suicide and around mental health and around grief. And as a, as a whole entire planet, we can save more people. And that's really where that goal went to. Um, hmm. And... So, and there's a lot of tricky emotions. There's a lot of really, really tricky emotions that come up. And for me, anger manifested as, as this like feeling of, like I kept feeling like the sense of relief after my sister died. And I wanted to shove that down because what, like I wanted to never feel like why on earth would I feel a sense of relief after the person that I loved died? Like, that's ridiculous, Aaron. Why are you feeling that? That's unbelievable. You should be sad, 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 and sad, not relieved. That's ridiculous. So I kept shoving that away and my relief manifested in anger because then I got mad at myself for even feeling like I should feel relief. And then it just was like boiling over. And then after going to more suicide loss survivor support groups and hearing people who were six, seven, eight, nine years in their journey saying, yeah, after, after I lost my brother or I felt relief. And it's okay to feel that because, you know, when someone you know is deeply struggling with their mental health, which my sister was for a very, very long time. And there's been hospitalizations and 911 calls and suicide attempts, you have this like sort of this black cloud that hovers over you. Like, is like, is this the day? Like sometimes you think about it, sometimes you don't think about it. And then it sort of weighs on you all the time. You have just like this like thing in the back of your mind that could always be, is this the phone call? Is this the phone call? Um, And so having to grasp the fact that now I don't have to constantly, every single day, 24 seven, worry about my sister, there is a sense of relief and it's okay For me to say that now it's taken me a long time to even come to terms with this story and saying all those things but i had to process it and i had to actually sit with the fact that this might be a real thing that i'm feeling and so your stages of grief can manifest in different ways it can be like covering up different emotions that you might feel anger might be covering some shame or some guilt for me relief right your bargaining might turn into this Right. Your denial might be like being strong for all of your family members. so You don't have to think about the fact that you lost someone. You're just going to be strong for everyone all the time. Right. It's not specific. like, yes, you're going to go through those stages of grief, but they're going to they're going to find their way in maybe different ways. And we got to be able to sit with that and process it and feel it and recognize it and hopefully get into the point where we accept it. And never it's never a point where you're moving on, but you are going to move forward. Like I have the you are love now, right? It's like my meaning. My sister is guiding me. Professional wrestling is guiding me Two things that I absolutely love dearly. Her and pro wrestling are my sixth stage of grief and creating a sense of meaning in my life to do this thing. And, you know, this is almost five years uh, after she passed away. So it takes time. And I'm not perfect, right? I, I listen to Mandy Moore in the car as her favorite singer. And I, I fucking cry my little eyes out. It's awesome. I'm feeling it. I feel things. I feel her in the music, in the song. And I go to the cemetery and I just talk to her. I feel like she's just like the most non-judgmental person, just listening to me rant and rave and talk a little shit and you know, all this stuff. And so now it's like you've, you know, I've come a long way and I still have a long way to go. And hopefully, whoever, wherever you are listening, whatever grieving journey you're on, whether of your sport, of a loved one, of your graduation, of pro wrestling, you start to. Uh, Take a little inventory about where you might be at, what stage of grief you might be at, what might be manifesting over these things, what you might be avoiding. And, you know, maybe hearing us talk might might help you on that journey. So,
2: you know, Aaron, as you were talking about that, it it really made me think you were I, I think you were grieving before you were grieving. When we see our loved ones suffering, we would do anything help them we're bargaining right we're we're realizing these different stages that our loved ones are going through um and and just ping ponging back to something kyle said earlier you know nobody gets out of this alive this is the overarching human experience that we all have to go through and within the realm of professional wrestling you come into it you are automatically connected so many people you have to endure so many emotions and you're guaranteed to go through grief Uh, it's going to be complicated it's going to be complex it's going to be over years and you're not going to know when it's going to hit it's it's going to feel like sorrow numbness words like mourning you know we we've used coming to terms right I, I really like kind of these phrases that help us give it a face. Uh, it, it's it's hard to go through these stages, and, and when you're in them, like we can we can spout them and and we know them, but as a person to feel them and experience them is very different. Um, the the rituals, you know, listening to that person's song, having a shot, you know, if that if that's your inclination. Whatever you feel you can do within reason to to celebrate that individual, it's so important because as we like to say, it helps them to live on. And those of us that are in pro wrestling, my God, isn't that what we're trying to achieve? We're trying to live forever, baby. Like it's Coliseum style. So, like that, that's really what we're here for. Like we want to go out there and make people feel something. That way when we are gone, man, they're all going to feel it, right? Like in a way, that's kind of how that warrior mentality goes. My experience in the military, losing friends to, to various ways, whether that be health because it deteriorated from burn pits. Maybe it was suicide. They couldn't let go of their time while they were in. Maybe they died while in combat. And all of those are so hard to deal with. Then we almost see the exact same instances within pro wrestling. Our, our, these people who we only get to interact with uh, You know, when we're at the shows. Meanwhile, we're back in our lives living that life. We're, we're being that person while the rest of the folks that we live with in our everyday lives might not understand. They don't know that camaraderie that we've sought for so long and worked so hard to connect to that guess what, no matter what, We've got that bump card. There's only so many times you're going to be able to get into that ring. And someday it'll be the last time, whether you've had a 10-year, five-year, or a 30-year career. And I, I think it's important to keep that in mind throughout your career. We want to keep an eye on that. It, somebody like The Undertaker, right, aging gracefully. I remember a decade of destruction. This was many years ago. And I remember him saying, "I I don't want to be around when I can't do it to the best, right?" And, and we all hold on for as long as we can because that's our grieving process.
1: Just want um,
2: yeah, yeah, please. It,
1: it, because you said we want to hold on as long as we can. I just want to point out, um, Chick Donovan is seventy six year six years old. Had a wrestling match this weekend. <laughs> So just the highlight, we will hold on as long as we can. (laughs) There is no better example,
2: right? And the things that 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 he's seen, you know, there's a resilience there. Uh, I'm I'm a very trauma focused therapist, so I look at like the background of of what everybody's been through, and we can use those experiences. the The final stage of, of dealing with traumas is hey. How are we going to deal with it when it happens again? Because regardless, something bad is going to happen in our lives. Then we need to prepare. We need to be resilient and we need to kind of have a loose plan. Who's our support? And, and I know, I feel like we say it in every single one of these, you got, you got to have your Because it's life.
1: important.
2: <laughs> yep. you it, and And that's the biggest thing. Like if we repeat it and repeat it, like, you have to build these skills. It, you got to get ahead of the game. And that's how champions perform. You know, go check out Aaron's podcast. Those things, he, he's talking to people that have been through it, that are on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. We can, we will feel pain. We know that in this business. and And we have to come to terms with that, letting go, even after, and as we retire, right, where does that go? How do we gracefully go into that? And and sometimes it's not your choice. It might be an injury, right? It's a setback. You don't know that it might be your last match, right? It, it, it's undetermined. Uh, there are many people who come back, but that's very rare. We we need to work on creating this personality outside of professional wrestling mm. we're, we're so complex as people it's important to have your communities right and they can blend they can separate but you need to have them so that you're not left without because we don't know it, it, it's it's a scary situation when we look at folks from the past that have gotten injured right uh and, and they're left kind of to the side they're not a part of that community anymore so they have to find a new one um and that's that stage six right uh looping back to finding meaning finding purpose finding a mission a reason um aaron when when you were kind of going through your transition uh, your your meaning was to create this when when you get to a certain point do you Do you see stages throughout finding meaning beyond this?
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, yes. It's just like you are loved at the start was like, like I said, you know, take over and do everything for everyone all the time. And it's slowly iterated into a specific niche audience because I've loved professional wrestling since I was 13. And now I deeply care about mental health. And the meaning for me is is there. And I transition that into my podcast. So the conversations, yeah, they're not only with professional wrestlers, but the central theme is, okay, what, can, what kind of lessons can we learn from this person who's been through the trenches and now come out of it? They've been through loss or grief or whatever, the, all the human experience that we're all gonna feel. And that's where the meaning lies. And just like, and having these great conversations, like it sounds so kind of like, like almost boring, but like the conversation is the meaning, like just having, having that like is amazing. You know, I still have all of these other things in my life, exercise being one of them that creates a ton of meaning because I've been an athlete forever and I just treat everything like an athletic competition. That's how I prepare and perform. But that's the mean, the meaning is in connecting with people is in having conversations. Um, and when I was in my initial grief process with dealing with the loss of my sister professional wrestling was that meaning you know um because my my sister passed away uh, in September 3rd 2018 the only thing I had to look forward to was a match with Wheeler Uda Beyond Wrestling on September 30th 27 days away you know that match Wheeler Uda being one of my best friends on the planet we were living together at the time that match like okay I have to get up and I have to go to the gym I have to move I have to do something. I have this match, this match that's keeping me alive for the next 27 days. Like, and so there's meaning in that. So professional wrestling is complicated in a sense where it can be the thing that brings you the greatest joy and meaning, obviously, but it can also be the thing that's tearing you up inside because you don't know when to let it go or move on or you foreclosed on your identity as a professional wrestler. You don't know anything outside of yourself. So, It's just a, it's a dynamic thing, but if we can start expanding who we might be or who we might want to be outside of I'm uh, Jackson Stone, the professional wrestler, into I'm also Aaron, a podcast host. I'm a friend, a brother, a sister. You know, my identity is about my repeated beingness, so who am I being? I have what set of values do you want to live by? That more is the architect of your life than just like I do this job. And so if we can think about that, I think also also important, but not to diminish the the overall importance of how much meaning professional wrestling can bring in our lives. It saved my life, along with Wheeler Yuta. Like, there's no doubt. Like, if I didn't have anything to look forward to, or not a friend supporting me, saying, "Hey, what do you want to do in this match?" Like, we can do it all. Like, we can do it. Like, just like, just having a conversation that wasn't about how are you feeling. I'm fucking feeling awful, dude. My sister died a week ago cool, you want to talk about how much body slams are going to do or what fucking elbow drop? Yes, I want to talk about all of that because it keeps and my functionality, mind baby. You know, it keeps my mind out of it. And so, again, at some point I had to deal with the fact of what I was feeling, but I needed something to, ke- to keep me going for that time being and then had to come to terms with the actual feelings. Can't avoid them forever or else they manifest and the dragon burns your fucking house down. But you can put the dragon under the carpet for a little bit, but then you got to face him. You got to face him and you got to slay him. But all of that stuff is very important.
1: On the on the other hand of that, you touched on something that's very important that I think we really need to highlight is that while the grief and loss process is should be an intentional one for maximum beneficence, um, you can't be in it every single moment until you feel that it is done. It's like exercise. It's like anything else. You need respite from it. You have to take a break from it. Like Aaron's example with his match uh, following his sister's death. Um he, he said, verbatim, yeah, I want to do anything else except talk about this, to, to paraphrase what you had said. And I think that's tremendously important. You have to get away from it. You have to be, you have to take your respite from it, you have to get your rest from it. But eventually you go back. When you are ready to go back, go back. That, that's just what I wanted to
2: highlight. <laughs> I, I I love it. You know, the like you said, there there need to be breaks. You have to be able to catch your breath, and it's it, it's all within reason, right? We're not we're not saying that you have to pull yourself up. And for everybody, it looks different. Everybody experiences grief differently, and and it can't be predicted. But it's about intentionality. I I, I really want to. Like uh, harp on um, what to do in that grief, that accept, allow, adjust, right. It, it, it's it, uh, champions adjust, right, Aaron. That that's really the theme, and, and I think that anybody that would be listening to this is in professional wrestling is a champion. They they want to work towards a goal, right? So adjust, figure out a way through. Is that gonna be going to see a therapist? Is that gonna be going and getting a medication for a time? Is it gonna be maybe seeking inpatient treatment? And right, it can escalate to these different ways depending on where you're at. And, and and we've seen a full plethora of examples in pro wrestling of what happens when you don't do it, right? Like for God's sakes. Do yourself a favor. Help the people around you. Do what's right for you. That way you can enjoy the work you put in. Pro wrestling, we did it because we love it, right? We do it because it's a connection and it means so much. We should be able to live with those memories and enjoy them for as long as possible and as healthy as possible. And, and I I just I hope that people walk away from this discussion with an understanding that you you've got to be intentional, you've got to come up with a plan, you've got to build a toolbox and you've got to have your community and supports.
0: Absolutely. That's my soapbox. I mean it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, Kyle, you have anything to add on the back end of there?
1: I think he was perfectly succinct about it. <laughs> Nothing to top that. Cherry's already there.
0: Perfect. Well, I think that's a that's a beautiful place. Carl, unless you have anything else to add? Okay, well. No, I just really appreciate you sharing your
2: experience, you know. Uh, yeah. It's touched, I think, more people than you'll realize. And, and it's brought together folks that, that we get to work on making change. So thank you. And, and, and I hope that
0: you know that your grief has meaning. Thank you. I'm uh, I'm very happy it brought me to you guys, cause uh, you're helping me uh, materialize my vision that's inside of my head by doing the the work. So I appreciate you very both very much. And again, this was our our eighth discussion ongoing. Um, we do these every other month, um, so it's pretty cool. Uh, and again, if you wanna utilize any of our resources as a professional wrestler, Facebook group support group. Uh, These webinars, reach out to any of us via social. We're very easy to find and very easy to talk to. And we'll get you all linked up with all of that. And if this is your first time listening to one of these webinars, all previous seven and this one are located on the YouTube channel, which is my YouTube channel. And uh, I just appreciate you listening. If you have any feedback, questions, comments, concerns, let us know. If not, we'll see you next time. Cheers and lots of love.